You're listening to Myths and Morals, a podcast focused on retelling of ancient stories, complete with their fascinating characters, intricate plots, and dramatic scenes that span the entire spectrum of the human experience. You'll hear tales of love, loyalty, betrayal, revenge, and more from epics that have endured thousands of years. My name is Girish, and I'll be your host. In this episode, we look at the story of two kings who achieved power, fame, and wealth by waging wars and invading kingdoms through brute force. The only difference between them was that one of them followed their grandfather's lead since he was a kid and loved God with all his heart, while the other considered himself God and forced his subjects to worship him. Interestingly, it was the same God that decided to end both their reigns each in a unique yet spectacular way. There was a revered sage named Kashyap who was married to the sisters Diti and Aditi. Diti became the mother of the Asuras or the demons and her sister Aditi became the mother of the Devas, the demigods. These half-brothers, the Devas and Asuras, hated each other and were at war most of their lives. Two of these Asura brothers, named Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakshipu, had a special hatred not just for their half-brothers, but also for Lord Vishnu, who always seemed to take the side of the demigods. One day, Hiranyaksha tried to drown Mother Earth in the cosmic ocean and was stopped by Vishnu, who had incarnated as a wild boar, the Varaha Avatar, and killed the demon. Angered by this, Hiranyaksha's older brother Hiranyakshipu decided to seek vengeance and realized that the only way he could do this was by gaining magical powers that only Lord Brahma can provide. So he left his pregnant wife at home and set out to pray to Brahma and keep at it until he got what he wanted. If you have listened to my last episode, you know how this goes. It takes years and years of severe austerity and strict discipline to get the gods like Shiva or Vishnu or Brahma to take notice. So that's exactly what Hiranyakshipu did. After praying for a long, long time, finally Brahma appeared in front of him and granted him a wish. So naturally, Hiranyakshipu asked Brahma to grant him immortality, to which Brahma replied, Listen, I cannot just say you get to live forever, okay? Ask me for something else, whatever you want, I promise. So Hiranyakshipu thought for a moment and decided to trick Brahma into granting him immortality by asking him to let him pick the way he dies. It's actually pretty clever, the way he does it. He says to Brahma, My death should not be at the hands of a human, or an animal, or a demigod, or a demon. My death should not occur during the day or night. My death should not happen inside my house or outside. And my death should not be with a manufactured weapon of any kind. These rules pretty much eliminate all possible ways an Asura would typically die. And to his pleasant surprise, Brahma agreed and granted him his wish. Hiranyakshipu felt invincible, and armed with his new powers, he set out to conquer all three worlds, the earth, heaven, and the underworld. Meanwhile, taking advantage of his prolonged absence, the demigods led by their king Indra attack Hiranyakshipu's home terrorizing his pregnant wife Kaidu. But before they could hurt her, Sage Narada intervenes and takes Kaidu into his care. 
and while she was under his protection, the unborn child in her womb started listening to all the hymns and chants sung by Narada praising Lord Vishnu. Several months later, Kaido gave birth to a baby boy and named him Prahlad. Unsurprisingly, as the child grew up, he began to show symptoms of Narada's prenatal training and soon became the most popular and devoted follower of Vishnu. Hiranyakshipu had by then conquered all the three worlds and started to truly believe that he was the most powerful person in the whole universe and he demanded that people worship him instead of Lord Vishnu. So as you can imagine, when he learned that his own son Prahlad was a big fan of Vishnu, Hiranyakshipu was not happy. He blamed his son's teachers who swore that they had nothing to do with this and took Prahlad back to school where they tried to convince the boy that it wasn't a good idea to sing praises of his father's enemy especially in his own court. Time passes and Hiranyakshipu summoned his son again and asked him about what he had learned since their last unpleasant interaction. Prahlad once again says that he had learned quite a bit about Vishnu and starts reciting a poem he wrote about the supreme god. This infuriated Hiranyakshipu, who was shocked and felt humiliated. How could his own son, a young boy, be so disrespectful to his father, the most powerful king and ruler of all three worlds? Filled with hatred and white-heart rage, he accused his son of being a traitor. As the confused little boy looked at his father, not understanding what he did wrong and why he was in trouble, Hiranyakshipu did the unthinkable. Blinded by pride and arrogance, he ordered his guards to murder his own child. Before Prahlad could react to what was happening, the guards charged at him with their swords. But to everyone's surprise, in spite of all the stabbing and slashing, the little boy stood there without even a single scratch on his body. The gods stood there confused and looked at each other cluelessly. That's when Hiranyakshipu realized that this was no ordinary child. But to save face, he offered to let his son go if he promised to never ever bring up Vishnu again. Prahlad refused. And as everyone looked on, the king ordered that his son be attacked with venomous snakes that tried to puncture his skin and dig into his flesh. But the boy felt no pain as the fangs of the snakes shattered into pieces. Prahlad kept his eyes closed and continued to pray to Vishnu, while his father tried to attack him with elephants this time. But as soon as they hit his body, the tusks of the elephants were blunted. Clearly, nothing was working for Hiranyakshipu, who somehow still wasn't getting the message. And just as he was about to set his son on fire, the priests intervened and said they would try one more time to teach Prahlad to respect his father's authority. And if they failed, they promised to figure out a way to kill the boy themselves. Hiranyakshipu, still seething with anger, reluctantly agreed and calmed down. But deep inside, he knew this wasn't going to end well. When Prahlad returned to his school, he now started teaching other kids about the powers of Vishnu. Word got out, and his father was astonished that his son would publicly undermine him in spite of all that happened. Hiranyakshipu secretly tried to poison his son, but to his dismay, the boy once again escaped unharmed. Now the priests try their best to talk Prahlad out of this insubordination and warn him that if he doesn't listen to them, he will die at the hands of his own father. Prahlad says he's not afraid of anyone, 
and that death did not scare him. Insulted by his response, they invoke a dangerous demon named Krithia, who emerges from fire and shoots a trident at the boy. The trident hits his chest and breaks into pieces. Mad at her own failure, she turns against the same people who had invoked her and kills them. Even at that young age, Prahlad was kind-hearted and prayed to Vishnu to bring those priests back to life, who then rose up unhurt and apologized to the little boy. When Hiranyakshipu learned about what happened, he knew that his son was now posing an immediate danger. He decided that he had had enough and ordered his guards to throw Prahlad off of a cliff. Once again, the boy came back unscathed. They then tied him up and threw him in the sea, only to find him calmly floating on the surface. So then they tried to drown him by placing giant rocks on his little body as they submerged him in the deepest part of the ocean. Prahlad rises up, breaking through the rocks and parts the ocean as he walks back home. Hiranyakshipu was running out of ideas before he remembered that his sister Holika had this special power of fire not having any effect on her. So he asked her to help him get rid of his son. Holika gladly agreed. They set up a huge fire for the occasion and Holika picked up her nephew and walked into the fire and sat down right in the middle of it while still holding little Prahlad in her lap. The young boy closed his eyes and prayed to Vishnu. And to Hiranyakshipu's horror, he watched helplessly as his sister Holika seemed to lose her special powers and burned down to ashes while Prahlad once again walked out unharmed. Confused and angry, Hiranyakshipu demands to know from where was his son getting these magic powers and since when did he become invincible? It was he that tricked Brahma into making him immortal. But how come his son is the one who is effortlessly escaping death every single time? Prahlad replies that he had no magical powers. All he did was pray to Vishnu as he had done his whole life and it's Vishnu who was always around to protect him. Hiranyakshipu screams at his son. What do you mean by always around? Are you saying he's everywhere? Is your god Vishnu here now, in this room? Where? In this pillar? He angrily points to a large stone pillar in his palace, to which Prahlad calmly replies, Yes, Vishnu is truly omnipresent. You can find him in a twig. You can also find him in a pillar. Unable to control his anger, Hiranyakshipu punches that pillar so hard that it explodes and out of it emerges a towering and terrifying figure that was half lion and half human. Prahlad froze as a frightening beast broke out of the pillar, his eyes red with fury and his golden mane blazing, and he charged at the king with a roar so loud that for the first time in his life, Hiranyakshipu was truly scared. This majestic creature was none other than Lord Vishnu himself who had taken the avatar or incarnation of Narasimha. Nara means human and Simha means lion. To put an end to Hiranyakshipu's torture of his favorite devotee. The demon king didn't stand a chance as Narsimha thrashed him around and pummeled him into an inch of his life. He then dragged the king to the front door of his palace and sat on his doorstep. Breathing heavily with heart rage, Narsimha then pulled Hiranyakshipu's battered body onto his lap. The sun was about to set and Narsimha roared again as he tore into the belly of the king of the Asuras 
and used his sharp claws to rip his guts out, thus killing him in one of the most brutal ways imaginable. You see, Vishnu knew about Hiranyakshipu's boon from Brahma. So to work around all those restrictions, he took the form of half lion and half man, and thus he was technically neither an animal nor a man. And by killing the king at his doorstep, his death was technically neither inside his residence nor outside. And since he died at dusk, it was technically neither day nor night. But Narsimha wasn't done yet. His rage was so uncontrollable that the demigods went to goddess Lakshmi, who was Vishnu's wife, and asked her to bring him under control. She said that in this state, even she can do much to restrain him. She suggested they go talk to the wonder child Prahlad, who then courageously walked up to the fearsome beast and gently talked to him and managed to calm him down. Now, if you grew up in India like me, you most likely were already familiar with the story of this young boy Prahlad, his evil father Hiranyakshipu, and also the Narsim avatar. But what most people may not realize is that the life of Prahlad as an adult and that of his descendants are just as interesting. Under the guidance of Shukra, who was an advisor and teacher to the Asuras, Prahlad grew up and turned out to be a capable king who purely by his virtuous behavior convinced Indra to give up heaven, his kingdom. And thus, without fighting a single battle, he took control of all the three worlds again. Now Indra was mad at himself for allowing Prahlad to talk him into giving up his own kingdom and wanted to find out the secret behind his strategy. On Shukra's suggestion, he decided to go ask Prahlad himself in person but wasn't sure if he would give away his secrets. So he disguised himself as an old Brahmana and visited Prahlad who taught him the path of righteousness and virtue. Impressed by the Brahmana's patience, Prahlad grants him a wish, not knowing that it was actually Indra. Indra, of course, uses the opportunity to ask Prahlad for his virtuous character. Confused by his request, Prahlad gave the Brahmana what he wanted. But soon, one after the other, Prahlad lost his integrity, righteousness, honor, might, etc. In other words, Indra stole the core virtues of Prahlad, which he then used to take back heaven. The Asuras were mad at Indra and were waiting to take revenge. Prahlad later had a son named Virochana, who was also a great king of the demons. Virochana, though an Asura, performed all his rites and rituals carefully, and he was also very kind to Brahmanas. Indra and the demigods were threatened by Virochana and came in disguise and stole his magic crown that had protected him from death, following which Indra killed Virochana and turned him into ashes. You see, Shukra, the teacher of the Asuras, had the magical power to bring back people from death, but he couldn't do it without a dead body. That's why Indra made sure Virochana was burnt to ashes. Sick and tired of the deceitful ways of Indra and the other Devas, the Asuras knew that there was only one person who could bring justice to their family and take them back to their days of glory. And that person was none other than Virochana's son named Mahabali. And he was ready to go battle Indra and the demigods. But Vishnu, meanwhile, told the Devas that if they team up with the Asuras and churn the ocean of milk, they would be rewarded with the sweet nectar of immortality. So he suggested that the Devas work out a deal with Mahabali and the Asuras 
and get them to work for the nectar. Now Indra badly wanted the nectar of immortality for himself and the devas. So taking the advice of Vishnu, he approached Mahabali who was skeptical at first, but he reluctantly agrees to a truce and then they all get to work. As expected, after a lot of hard work, the nectar appears and this time the asuras steal the jar and run away with it. The devas cry foul and go to Vishnu who agrees to help the demigods and disguises as a woman and successfully tricks the asuras into giving up the nectar which he then hands over to the devas who immediately drink it and attain immortality furious at being duped again mahabali declares war on the devas this epic battle goes on for a long time in which all kinds of powerful weapons and magical illusions are put into use but the devas who are now strengthened by their immortality fight without the fear of death and massacre the asuras mahabali fights valiantly but is struck by indra's favorite weapon the thunderbolt and he dies on the battlefield now that the king of the asuras is dead indra and his army of demigods close in on the last remaining asuras and were on the verge of decimating their entire race before sage narada intervened and asked the devas to back off You already got the nectar of immortality and even drank it without sharing it with your half brothers. Why are you still fighting them? Let them go, Narada begged them. Indra agrees and takes his army of demigods back to heaven, while the remaining asuras collect the dead bodies of their fallen brothers, including their king, and take them to Shukra, who uses his magical power to bring them all back to life. As soon as he is brought back to life, Mahabali prepares to go battle the devas again but Shukra calms him down and tells him that without special powers there's no way he can defeat Indra and the devas so he decides to take on this sacred and powerful ritual that is extremely hard to do but with unrelenting perseverance he pulls it off successfully and gains special powers such as an impenetrable armor an unbreakable bow two quivers of unlimited arrows etc Brimming with his newfound confidence, he once again leads his army of asuras and surrounds heaven, which is where Indra and the other devas lived. Indra is seriously worried and seeks advice from revered sages, who tell him about Mahabali's new powers and ask him not to engage in a battle with the asuras. Indra and the other demigods quickly abandon heaven, which is then conquered by Mahabali. The asuras are thrilled that they once again have control of all three worlds earth heaven and the underworld the last time this had happened was when mahabali's grandfather prahlad was their king now mahabali turned out to be a great king under his rule there was only prosperity and happiness everywhere no crimes no injustice no pain people thrived under his rule and the asuras enjoyed being in control and thanks to his grandfather prahlad mahabali was also raised to worship vishnu with true love in his heart and he was also an ardent devotee all was well in the universe but indra and the demigods who are technically homeless now go to their mother aditi and tell her about what happened taking pity on her son she asks her husband kashyap to do something sage kashyap says that mahabali and the asuras are his descendants too and he cannot just go fight them so he suggests aditi pray to vishnu who might be able to help you know what happens next 
Aditi spends the next several years praying to Vishnu while practicing hard austerities until Vishnu appears in front of her and upon her request, he agrees to be born to her in Sage Kashyap. And he would use this incarnation to figure out a way to get Indra and the Devas their kingdom back, following which Aditi gets pregnant. Time passes by and Aditi gives birth to a baby boy who would turn out to be a dwarf. This boy, named Vamana, is considered to be Lord Vishnu's fifth avatar, right after the Narsim avatar. Meanwhile, Shukra instructs Mahabali to conduct hundred yagnas or sacred rituals so that he can gain the power to establish control over all the three worlds forever. Mahabali had successfully finished 99 of those rituals and while he was almost done with the hundredth one, Vamana shows up at the ritual as a Brahmana. He stands there with a strange glow around him as Shukra looks at him suspiciously. Mahabali finds Vamana adorable and asks him the purpose of his visit. Vamana patronizes Mahabali and tells him that everyone told him how generous of a king he was and that all he wanted was just three paces of land. Mahabali scoffed. That's it? Just three paces of land measured by your tiny feet? Sure, go ahead. Shukra realizes that this dwarf is none other than Vishnu himself and warns Mahabali to not give him anything. However, Mahabali, being the grandson of Prahlada, is beyond thrilled that Vishnu would even show up at his doorstep seeking alms. He ignores Shukra's advice, which angers him, who then curses Mahabali to lose all his wealth. But Mahabali is unfazed. He says, I'd rather suffer your curse and lose everything then disappoint Vamana. So he tells Vamana to measure his three paces anywhere he wants. As soon as he finished saying it, Vamana started growing taller and taller and transformed into the cosmic form of Lord Vishnu and kept expanding. This was an incredibly rare occurrence for Vishnu to show his true form. Mahabali dropped to his knees, completely mesmerized by what he was witnessing. So Vamana, with his first step, covers the entire earth. And with his second step, he covers the entire sky. And then he turned to Mahabali and asked him where his third step should be, as there was nothing left to cover and Mahabali had nothing left to give. Mahabali realizes his mistake and kneels in front of Vamana and requests him to take his third and final step by placing his foot on top of Mahabali's head. Pleased with Mahabali's instant remorse and humility, Vamana offers to send him down to the underworld where he would live forever in peace. He then hands over heaven to Indra and the Devas and heads to the underworld where the Lord himself guards Mahabali's new kingdom which is far more resplendent than heaven above. And on Mahabali's request, Vamana lets him come back to earth once a year to meet with his people and check on them to make sure they are happy and healthy. This annual visit of Mahabali to earth is celebrated as Onam, the harvest festival in the state of Kerala, India, which is usually in the August-September time frame, during which people commemorate their favorite king by including celebrations such as boat races, flower arrangements, exhibition of martial arts, etc. And oh, by the way, remember Holika, 
the evil aunt of Prahlad who burned to ashes while trying to kill her little nephew? Her death symbolizes the triumph of good over evil and is celebrated as Holi, the festival of love or more popularly known as the festival of colors, where people have fun literally smearing each other with vibrantly colorful powder. They also use water guns and water-filled balloons to drench each other with colored water. Anyone and everyone is fair game, by the way. Family, friends, strangers, rich, poor, man, woman, children, elders, it doesn't matter. Everyone's on the streets singing, dancing, playing drums, and just having fun. And even though Onam and Holi are both Hindu festivals, non-Hindu communities also participate in these celebrations, thus making them truly multicultural. After all, isn't that what festivals are all about? To bring people together, help them forget their sorrows, share a laugh, enjoy good food and such. And on these special days, there is no sadness, no fear, no anger, no negativity of any kind. Only happiness, harmony and positive vibes. Just like how their favorite King Mahabali would have wanted. Well, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to help us out, tell your friends about the show. Also, visit mythsandmorals.com for more content and follow us on social media at Myths and Morals. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.